Welcome to the Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place. Here to challenge you to think out of the box, your hosts, Felipe Mejia and Diego Corzo. Diego, what's up, dude? Super excited for today's podcast. Man, I'm trying to get over this COVID thing, bro. It's messing with me. I know, dude. It's it's a little bit sad that like usually you text me at like six, seven in the morning, like, hey Diego, this and that. And then I'm like, man, he's really hurting. If you haven't like called me or messaged me or anything, don't see you on Instagram. Uh, but I'm happy that uh I'm happy that you're back. Dude, I'm trying to get back. I'm definitely not a hundred percent and like uh you know, we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but honestly, dude, it's just like my brain cannot connect back to like where I was. I don't know if that makes sense. Like I'm still 75, 80% there. But anyways, today we have a great show with Heather RV parks, multifamily. Um, she's crushing it in real estate. Just super excited to have her on. Yeah. It's, it's great about how she started, like from where she started her first property, how she used the equity to just help her multiply into more properties. And now she's making over a hundred thousand a month. A so month, it's man, exciting. That's amazing. All right, man. No more ado. Let's get it out of here. Heather, welcome to the show. Heather, welcome to the Rat Race to Five podcast. Super excited that you're here. I'm here with Diego Corzo as well. What's up, Diego? What is up? What's up, Felipe? Man, just trying to get over this COVID thing, dude. But anyways, let's not let's not even get into that because everyone's gonna have questions. But we do miss, we did miss you at the uh, in Augusta. We closed under 34 unit. You were supposed to fly there. And oh. then it's like, bro, I cannot make it. I have a fever. And I was like, all right. But know, we dude, did close terrible. on it. We did close on it. Super excited about that. But Heather, thank you so much for being on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what do you do? Give us all the good stuff. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be talking to you all today. Uh, as most people know, I specialize in RV parks. Uh, even though I love RV parks, I own just as many mobile home parks and multifamily as I do RV parks. So I'm happy to talk about whichever way you want to take that. But it seems to be that the RV parks and the glamping resorts are the most unique part that everybody gets excited about. I think I think we can talk about both of them. But before we get into into um, your real estate, give us a little bit of background. Where would you go to high school? Where'd you grow up? Um, how'd you get how'd you even get into real estate? Yeah. So I grew up super poor in Mississippi, but I had no idea we were poor because it was so fun to the point to where I hope that I can emulate that experience for my kids, um, you know, having a garden and like raising all of our food and eating the meat from like the stuff that we had hunted and killed. And it was something that I thought of as this really great childhood. Looking back, it probably wasn't, but I, I really hope that I can figure out how to give my kids that same experience. I haven't quite figured it out yet because people don't really live that way anymore. <laughs> um, and then my parents moved me to Illinois and I went to college at Western Illinois University, studied supply chain management, which I do absolutely nothing with. Um, and about 11 years ago, I was driving across the country in a camper from Florida to California. And I was like, hey, this is just renting parking spots. It's got to be easy. It's not renting parking spots. By the time I got to California, I was Google searching RV parks for sale, campgrounds for sale, those kinds of things. And I lived in Knoxville at the time and Pigeon Forge, which you're familiar with, yeah. uh, 
is our tourist town. And I found this one that was in bankruptcy. And I'm like, it's like a mile from Dollywood. How could it go wrong? Like, this has got to be it. I didn't even know I had bought real estate when I bought the property. Um, So I had to go home and figure out how to run an RV park. So I slept in the office for the first six months and figured out how to make it work. Wow. That's uh, there's a lot to unpack there. Tell us, tell us what that beginning that, what are those beginning challenges of starting that? I mean, you said you slept there for six months, but how did you get the name out there? How did you revive the place? Give us uh, give us a little bit more sauce there. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> how did I revive the place? So when I bought the property, there were a hundred people living there with mailboxes and refrigerators outside and they were paying $300 a month. Wow. Well, that doesn't even cover their utilities with the things that they were doing much less everything else you need to pay. So I found this ordinance that people couldn't have refrigerators outside and they couldn't have tarps and some random things that Pigeon Forge had and and was able to get most of them to leave just because they realized that I was changing the rules and they didn't want to be there. Uh, The rest of them, we had to go through the eviction process and I didn't know a lot about business in general. So I started trying to figure out Google pay for clicks myself, which people don't really do on their own anymore. But when it first started, there weren't all these experts and, and you did it kind of yourself. And so between uh, Facebook uh, and posting on Facebook regularly, organically, and those Google ads, I built it from, it was worth $3 million when I bought it. And that is a $13 million property now, which has allowed me to pull the equity out and go buy the rest. Nice, nice. So so you got the property. Can you talk about funding? How did you do? Because I want to get all the nuts and bolts from the beginning. How'd you get funding for something like that? So people ask me all the time about, how do you get a loan for things? And I was so lucky that that was blessed really because they shouldn't have given me the loan. Uh, It was back after the market had collapsed and banks still had things on their books that they wanted to get rid of. In today's market, they would not have given me that loan and I wouldn't have asked for it. Uh, Sam Zell, who's a huge real estate uh, mogul, he owns lots of warehouse space and RV parks, mobile home parks. In his book, he talks about in his first deal, he was successful because he didn't know he shouldn't have been. (laughs) And it's the same kind of thing. I would not ask for a loan I was nowhere near qualified for now. Um, but I didn't know any better then. And so the bank gave me a non-recourse loan with no money down and I had to figure it out. Jeez. And, and that was more of a commercial loan, correct? It, it is. And so, and, and for those people that ask me that working with local banks and credit unions and building those local banking relationships are things that will make or break your investing career And that local bank still, they will give me a loan on pretty much anything I need at this point. If the numbers work out, I don't have to go through that massive paperwork and vetting process because I already have that relationship with them. So right. mm-hmm. building those banking relationships is critical. That's yeah, great. I agree. Did, I agree. Did, did you have to talk to like to five of them to figure out which one was going to be the one that was going to help you the most or how Actually, how did ba- you vet them? That bank owned the property. I didn't even know I needed to vet people. <laughs> like cool. like I said, I, I didn't know any of the right questions to ask. And it's interesting because y'all are both popular on social media. So you probably get some of the same questions where people are, they kind of have that analysis paralysis. They know so much more than I knew when I got started. And they really just need to start because you mm-hmm. will figure the rest of that out as you go. You don't need all of that information to get started. Well, tell us what you did with the property. So, okay, so you got the property, you got the bank funding, you started kicking people out. 
what did you do to start getting the right people in? Um, and then what, what is that? What did that growth look like gradually? So across the street from that property is a huge, really nice KOA. KOA is the largest franchise in RV parks. And so it was really tough as far as competition goes because, you know, they've been there for 50 years and, and lots of people like to visit them. So for my first year, I dropped my rates significantly and got customers that way so that I could start getting those reviews on Google and Yelp and things like that to bring people in. Then you get repeat customers and in the RVing space, everybody's buddies. So they tell their friends and you kind of start growing that friends and family organic growth. And, and these are people on vacation. So the average stays about three days. So you're not just operating something similar to our multifamily. You know, you're running a resort. There's pool, there's two pools, there's a fishing pond, there's a playground, there's activities every hour. So you, it, there's a whole lot of moving parts when you're doing all of that. So uh, making sure that all of those activities are fresh and on social media when other people weren't putting their properties on Facebook yet seemed to make a big difference. Nice, nice. And then what was what would you say are some of the um, struggles you've had trying to get it to grow from where, where it was? I can imagine it wasn't just a walk on the park. <laughs> it was not. There, there's a different struggle every day. Um, right now, the biggest struggle is in getting employees. I'm at 60% staff and, you know, some people are like, I don't know how to hire. Well, this isn't my first season. I'm, I'm going into my 12th season and, and yeah. for about six months, hiring has been really tough and, and changing our rates, even though they were already set based on inflation and what we're going to have to start charging people. Uh, obviously COVID was a big thing, kind of freaking no different than you with Airbnbs in the beginning, we were freaking out going, are we going to get to rent these? And in reality, it turned out to be a huge blessing. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, it seems to be some different struggle every year before that there were the Gatlinburg fires when the news made it look like the apocalypse and everything was burning down. You know, there's, when you have real estate, it seems like you have to thrive in chaos. Otherwise you're not going to be successful. Literally before we pushed record, I got a text that my property manager and maintenance man were headed to see if we have a dead body in one of the units. Like it, it's always something. Oh, it's man. not this, it's that. Yeah. So, so then for, for this property, this was your first one. Yes. And then you mentioned that now it's worth around $13 million and you've used that equity. Um, how, how have you used that? So I bought more RV parks. I bought mobile home parks. I have section eight multifamily. So I've used the equity to essentially go burr properties. Uh, I don't really buy anything that isn't a burr. So not only can I pull the money out of that property, the rest of my properties work the same way. So, you know, I'm sure you've talked about on here before when you're doing a burr deal, it's all about buying it right in the beginning. So learning that lesson with my first property, I'm kind of spoiled and it causes me to have that same buying habit with everything else. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, do you refinance it with the same bank that uh, gave you the loan initially? I do. Nice. That's cool. That's cool. Where do you, well, did they give you like a line of credit or do you just cash out, refi, whatever money that you need to invest into the future deals? I've done both. It depends on what I've got going on. Um, right mm -hmm. now I have a line of credit for some stuff, but it just kind of depends on what I'm buying and how it all works out. I do a little bit of both. Okay. So tell us, go ahead, Diego. Sorry. Oh, I was going to ask, what was the second deal that you did? Like how, how did you grow from that one? Be like, you know what? I'm going to do it again. Yeah. So the, throughout that process, I went through divorce 
So my ex-husband had an affair and I was eight months pregnant with our third child. Another one of those kind of freak out moments of, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And so I was trying to figure out if I was going to sell the property because how was I going to do all this by myself? And the, how am I going to do it by myself is a thing that is women. We hear our whole lives that you can't do that by yourself. You, you need a husband, you need a man. Like it's, it's not thought of as something that women do on their own. When I go to the conferences, I'm literally the only woman there by themselves. Like it's, it's husband and wife couples. And so obviously in the multifamily space, we see lots more females when you go to things like bigger pockets or Ryan Pineda's there's, there's other women there doing it alone, but in the RV space or the larger commercial real estate space, you don't really see that. And so I was really lucky um, when I talked to the bank, my banker said, Heather, why don't you just brief? Cause he owned my ex-husband owned 20% of that property. And the banker said, Heather, why don't you just refinance and um, use some of that money? You have a ton of equity, use some of that money to buy him out and maybe buy some other properties. It's like, what? I could do that. <laughs> that was like my light bulb moment of, oh my gosh, this is like what I need to do. Yeah. So I did that first refinance, bought my ex-husband out. And I realized at that point, because of what we're talking about, how active of a property that was. And so I'm like, okay, I need to start building the passive side of my portfolio. So I bought a duplex and I met this super awesome 90 something year old lady who owned over a hundred units. And she's like, now, honey, do you know that you can put mobile homes on section eight? I'm like, what you can. So she talked me into buying this really small seven unit mobile home park that she owned in addition to the duplex. And she had uh, seven trailers on those lots and she was renting them through section eight for $1,200 a month per wow. trailer. Wow. So I paid like $135,000 for seven trailers, but they all rent for over a thousand dollars a month. And so that was my next light bulb moment of being able to put mobile homes through the, the section eight program. Now, where did you, where did you buy those at? Those are in Knoxville. Those are in Knoxville. Okay. Got it. Got it. Did you also finance that one through a commercial loan or who was able to help you? Those are commercial loans also. Yep. Same bank. Same bank. Did you have to put any money down on that one? The 20% or anything? I didn't. I was using the equity from that original property. Okay. That's great. How, yep. how did you tell the lady, Hey, I'm going to, so if you're using the equity, right, you're getting those at a discount, quote unquote. Um, how were you able to let the lady know, Hey, I'm going to buy it at this number, um, so that I can get that equity and not have to put any money from, from my pocket. Or you're saying, no, you're saying that you're using the equity from, yeah, no, from I think so. For example, deals. from your original deals. Yeah. Oh, from the original deal. You're yeah, using yeah. that money. Okay, yeah. got yes. it. I thought you were yes. able to get into that deal too with like no money. No, no. So like, now oh that one has obviously has equity. So I can pull it out okay. now and go buy more also. But I'm using yeah. the equity from the previous properties to go buy the next one. Yep. Okay. Oh, and so Heather, you bought that one. Yeah. Continue, Felipe. Yeah. Heather, how do you get equity out of a small seven unit uh, mobile home park like that? Like, how do you add enough <laughs> value for there to be that much equity? The crazy part is I get, I get, and I'm sure you get these. I get so many calls and text messages from people trying to buy those properties. The numbers are crazy now. Yeah. Um, they're paying 60, 70, $80,000 a lot in that particular location. Uh, so it's again, there it's all commercial real estate. So it has to do with the money that you're bringing in and you built the rents. I love that. So, okay. So you got the RV park, you got the mobile home park. 
what happened next? So when I got the mobile home park, I had also gotten a duplex that, which was high originally met the super awesome lady. And, and I knew that I wanted to build that, that side of it. So then I bought a triplex and I started learning more about multifamily and I bought a really bad deal that I thought was going to be like my worst decision ever. It was a 12 unit. It was a 12 unit apartment complex that the foundation was bad and there were so many things wrong with it, but it only cost me like 200 and something thousand dollars for this 12 unit multifamily. And, um, but I didn't know anything about the extreme remodels and maintenance because I'd specialized in RV parks where we don't really have that. So it took me a long time to find a contractor that was willing to mess with that foundation. Uh, after that, when I finally found that contractor, I got rolling and got that property uh, remodeled and re-rented. I got to pull a couple hundred thousand dollars out of it and I went and bought a 10 unit. So just kind of kept growing with that burr method and bought more mobile home parks, more RV parks. And Where do you find these parks to purchase? Yeah, so some of them I find on the MLS, uh, some of them through cold calling. My mom is my COO and she is like the best cold caller on earth. And she talks to every person she meets. It doesn't matter if she's at the grocery store or she's at church. She's asking people all kinds of questions and talking to them. So she digs up the randomest stuff and I get the craziest text messages from her on deals she found. Um, but also it being such a niche thing, people remember you. And so other people who are in the space that say only buy multifamily, if they run across a mobile home park, I was on a call with a guy yesterday who does that. He only does multifamily and he ran across an RV park and he's like, Hey, Heather, is this a deal you'd be interested in? So this kind of friends and family referrals go a long way too. That makes a lot of sense. That's cool. So are you buying, are you continuing to buy more RV parks? And if so, where are you looking? I am. I'm getting ready to do my first syndication. I'm super excited about that. I've done all this stuff that we're talking about on my own. So it'd be interesting to have quote unquote partners, even though they're, they're limited partners. Um, so I'm buying for the syndication for growing. Um, my goal is to buy 200 million more in real estate before my 40th birthday. So pretty aggressive, uh, and not something I could do continuing to just burr all of my properties, which is a little bit of a slow process. So I'm buying still in Tennessee, um, Florida, um, Eastern West Virginia, uh, no Western West Virginia (laughs) and Western, uh, Carolinas, North and South Carolina. So kind of that little pocket around East Tennessee. Tell us about the deal you're doing right now. You just said, um, you're going to have partners in it. Tell us about that one. Yes. So it is, uh, 600 acres. I'm super excited about it. Uh, yeah, it's a huge project, um, with a waterfall and a cave and, uh, it's in Tennessee. I can't wait. I'm super excited. Nice. That's going to be exciting for sure. Can't wait to see what comes out of that one. Yeah. How, um, how were you able to raise the money for, for this indication? Honestly, it's social media. Um, about a year ago, actually a year ago this month, I decided to start posting some of the stuff that I do on Instagram, which uh, then transferred into TikTok. In between the Instagram followers and the TikTok followers, I'm constantly getting messages of people uh, offering to invest and asking how they can invest. So it's really been all through social media. Cool. Nice. Did you did, did they have to be accredited investors to invest with you? They do okay. have to be accredited investors. Yes. And and so through your TikTok and social media, 
it was easy to find the accredited investors. Correct. Yes. And the relationships cool. that I've built through that. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. So what's next for you, Heather? What are you planning on doing going forward? Uh, it sounds like you have a lot already and you have this huge goal. How do you plan on accomplishing this, this massive goal uh, before 40? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, we skip traced and got all the information for all the RV parks in the area. We're cold calling and doing mail outs and uh, keep doing what we're doing. Um, I use a calendar that's a year at a glance and it goes on my wall in my office, which I wish we were next door. I could show you all, but it, it breaks it out into quarters. And so we have daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly goals for how we're hitting those and making offers and all of that. So it's all written out and my, my team who is fabulous and I couldn't do it without has all got their part and moving forward. That's cool. Thanks. Which, um, so you mentioned a team, uh, you mentioned your mom is the COO. Uh, what, who else is in your team since you own multifamilies and RV parks and all of that? Yeah, I have about 30 employees, which is a separate team from my syndication team. Okay. And, uh, with RV parks where they're more active, you can't do like with an Airbnb or something like that. You may have cleaners who are maybe 1099 people that you call in as things are scheduled. The, mm -hmm. the original RV park that I mentioned has 40 41 short-term rentals. So think about how much laundry that is, how many turnovers that is, how much cleaning it is. So people are on staff and you have a mm -hmm. schedule and you have AM and PM because you've got so much going on. The restrooms have to be cleaned. The, the trash has to be picked up. All of the, the, the lawn care has to be done. The pools have to be checked. There's, there's so many moving parts that those people can't be the same 1099 that you use when you have a couple multifamily or something like that. So, um, those properties have more staff. So I've got the property managers, you've got the housekeeping managers, the maintenance managers I have a core team that I've had pretty much from the start that I'm so grateful for. And I couldn't do it without, um, who really helped me with all that stuff. And then for, I self-manage all the multifamily. So I've got a really great office staff for that also. Cool. And so the multifamily, then that's all in the Knoxville area as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And you mentioned earlier, South Florida. What, yeah. uh, what are you doing there? <laughs> I am staying warm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So it's right been there. interesting. I've been down here. I'm in Boca and I've been down okay. here um, almost, well, it's three years now, three years in December. And it's interesting. I'm so much more successful where I'm removed and forced to work on my business instead of in my business, because I can't be the one that runs and gets a heater when something stops working or, you know, so-and-so called in Heather's making pizzas today. You know, I, I'm not that person anymore because I'm so far away. It's not possible. And it's really forced me to grow more and become more successful. Tell, tell us more about that, because I think a lot of people get stuck in that part. They're so much in, involved in their business versus working on it um, that they get stuck. They don't grow anymore because they get stuck inside of their business. So please tell us a little bit more about that and uh, how powerful it is to get out of it. It is. Um, I have, I'm trying to think of how many properties I've bought since then to put it in perspective, but I've more than doubled my net worth since I moved, if we put it that way. Um, because the things that you need to do for growth are the things that you put on the back burner when you're working in the day to day, you are not 
working on your vision. You're not working on your growth of your mindset. You're not reading all the books that you should be reading. You're not um, doing the cold calling and the mail outs and all of the things that you need to be doing for writing your systems and processes and following those things that we hear from all of the gurus that have been successful all the time. Those are the things that we all know, but never actually do because we're so busy making pizzas and cleaning because somebody called in or whatever it is. You're the one showing your property. You're the one getting the leases signed because you're available and you're there. I'm 12 hours away from my properties short of the house that I live in here. So I am not, there's no option where I'm the solution. So I'm able to be removed from that and can you can continue to work on growing the business. I agree. I think a lot of people end up getting stuck um, from growing because they make themselves available for their business as if they were an employee. And a lot of the times they get stuck in that position where they become the person that has to do the pizza or has to clean or whatever because they're, they're, uh, they're there. They're available for that kind of stuff. Like so when you remove that piece from there, it forces you to hire someone else or put someone in a position to take over there where you can continue to grow and scale your business. And that's the only way your business is going to survive if you do grow and scale uh, and start creating those processes and procedures. Yeah. And it also forces you to get good at automations. The things that you hadn't automated that you should have, it forces you to do that. I was reading a book the other day that was talking about systems and processes, and it said, um, what you're doing right now, can you scale it from two to 200? So everything for the people who are beginners that you're doing, even if you only have a unit or two, don't get in the habit of doing things that can't go from two to 200. Because even if 200 isn't your goal, you have no idea what your goal is going to be in three or four years. So make right. sure those habits and processes are scalable. That's yeah. crazy. One of the books that, that helped me out a lot on that was The E-Myth. Yeah, that's it what I've been reading. Yeah. 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 It showed me basically like the power of systemizing things and putting checklists in place so that as you're doing work, um, you can do it in a way that gets documented and then passed on to other people. Absolutely. Heather, for someone that wants to get started and do what you're doing and is interested in, wow, I really would want to get into RV parks or mobile home parks. Um, you know, what are some tips, tricks or advice that you would give them? <laughs> Uh, it's interesting how many investors that are interested in spaces have never done that before. So anytime I teach a class on something like that, I ask everybody, Hey, who's been in an RV before? And for the people that have it, I recommend that you rent a camper or borrow one of your friends for a weekend, get in it, go drive around, figure out how tough it is to get gas, how hard it is to back in a campsite what it feels like to hook those hookups up because the decisions that you make for your business are going to be so different once you've experienced from the consumer side of it. So trying to convince people to actually get that experience makes a huge difference. Um, also when I was getting in it, I had nobody to ask. There's, there's not a bunch of YouTube videos like there are on multifamily and, and especially 11 years ago. So it was all trial and error. So I created a course and have a course for people who are interested in it at this point, but there's not a lot mm -hmm. of information out there. Have you found that a lot of the owners of RV parks and kind of the, the space you're in are older? Um, or are you saying a new generation is coming through? 
uh, there's definitely new generations coming through. The industry has had huge growth in the last couple of years, and you're seeing some of those institutions and institutional buyers starting to creep into the space. They had, they were there before, but not as heavy as they are now. Yeah. And so it's definitely, it's kind of like mobile home parks 10 years ago or, or Airbnbs when they first started, everybody's starting to get interested in the space and ask those questions. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Are you getting into some um, STRs too, since since you're so close to like the Pigeon Forge, Gatlingburg area? So it's interesting. I have uh, 21 uh, tiny homes in Pigeon Forge and I have 15 glamping tents. So those function the exact same as your Airbnb short-term rentals. I even have an Airstream uh, there that is on Airbnb and the glamping tents are on Airbnb. So they function very similar, only the returns are significantly better. And the, uh, the, the ability to get into it isn't near as much money. Oh, interesting. Wait, tell us, you said tiny homes. Yeah. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, they're really neat. So in order to be classified, to be in an RV park and be a quote unquote tiny home, they have to be certified by RVIA, which is the same thing that certifies campers. And so that's how the, the permitting and zoning works out to, to be legal. And that means that they have to be 399 square feet or smaller. So they're really tiny. They're kind of like the size of a hotel room, only you need to fit the kitchen and the bathroom and multiple bedrooms in there. Yeah. And so they're really cute. They rent for anywhere from a hundred to $250 a night, uh, in Pigeon Forge and They've been a really great investment. They bring in about $500,000 a year, those 21 do. Wow. And are those on your park? They are. They're in the park that's in Pigeon Forge. Got it. Okay, cool. Very cool. Yeah. That is interesting. Um, what is the link for anybody that may want to check out a couple of your RV parks or your, your Airbnbs? Yeah. So they, if they go to my website at heatherblankenship.com, you'll find all that information there. Okay. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, because it doing, sounds like you're doing you, a lot. You have a lot. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly what I was about to say. I'm like, holy crap. It is a lot. So when you and I were talking before we started recording and I'm like, my nanny's got COVID and I'm like, my kids are homeschooled. And so I'm like trying to homeschool and chase everybody. It's kind of on fire at the moment, but that seems to be the name of the game. <laughs> That's hilarious. Do you, do you have an exit strategy at the end? Do you plan on just selling everything or what's your, uh, what's your end goal? What's your end strategy with everything? I don't know. You know, when you usually hear people that talk about these big goals, they have that exit strategy. And also it's funny you say that because when I'm teaching people, I talk about consider who your buyer is going to be when you're selling. It'll be interesting to see if my kids are interested in it and it's something that I pass on or if it's something that I end up selling. The RV parks we talked about are so much more active and they're not something you can put into a management program. <clears throat> those I'll probably sell, but the multifamily, my goal, when I started buying those was for my mobile home parks and my multifamily to be a hundred thousand dollars a month of passive income. So that when I retire, that's, that's what I have for forever. And so I'm at that hundred thousand dollars. So those, my goal is to retire <laughs> with that, uh, but the RV parks I'll probably sell. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So Heather, is there anything else that you would want to tell anyone listening uh, who wants to get in this space? Because I know that there's a lot of people interested in this. And like you said, there's just not a lot of information out there. So yeah. uh, what else would you tell someone that wants to get started? 
get, stop waiting. Stop waiting. <laughs> stop, just do it. Just stop do thinking it. about it. The same thing I said earlier for all, whatever the asset classes that they're interested yeah. in, you have consumed enough information. I don't know who needs to hear this, but do it now. <laughs> I love it. I was about to say, especially since we are right at the beginning of like 2022, it's more like, all right, what can you do Q1 that's going to get you closer to your goals for the whole year? Absolutely. Do you need to find partners? Do you need to figure out how to operate? Do you need to be studying markets? What is it? Figure it out and get started instead of just continuing to consume all this information. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, for anybody too, that's trying to get into this, like the RV parks, who are the two or three most important people that you need in your team to buy it? Yeah. You're going to need a really great industry specific appraiser, because if you're going through a lender that isn't familiar with the asset class, sometimes they'll hire a local appraiser that sometimes is a land appraiser. And so they're going to want to give you the value of the land because they're not familiar with the asset class. So using an industry specific appraiser when you're buying is super important, kind of similar to multifamily where you need that you, your home inspector or person that's really important to have in your pocket using an industry specific appraiser can be very similar. Another that important thing. Yeah. Is your, your utilities are make it or break it when you're talking about RV parks or glamping. So if you were going to buy land and develop, or if you're buying a property that you're expecting to be able to expand, making sure that that is an option with the city or the capacity that, cause you know, not everything's going to be city water or city sewer. You, maybe you have septic tanks, maybe you have a lagoon or a wastewater treatment plant or all of these different categories that you can get into. And some of those can be really scary because if they break, they could cost as much as maybe your property did. So making sure that you have all the details and you're asking me about what person you need, you need that specific inspector for the type of utilities that that property has, because that's going to be make it or break it for your deal. Man, that's good to know. That's good to know. And those, and the last one here on the, on the real estate side, like to find the, to find the deal, um, yeah. are there like RV realtors or RV commercial? Like, yeah. yeah. Who there's, are, who are the people that help you with that? There's industry specific brokers. I did that for about four years and I learned a ton way more than I had learned just being an operator. Uh, there's also <laughs> websites that we use similar to multifamily, which are uh, LoopNet and Crexy are really great places to find properties, but the best deals are going to be cold calling and mail outs and, and hunting them down yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I love that. Heather, anything else you want to tell the, the, the listeners before we get out of here? Really appreciate your time. Seriously, the industry that you're in, you're obviously you're killing it and you're crushing it. So definitely kudos to you. Like you said, uh, probably one or two women in the industry. Everyone else is couples or whatever. So it's it's pretty cool that you're kind of breaking that status quo. Thank you. I enjoy it. It's really fun. What is um What is the best way for people to find you? you can find or to me learn on... more from from you and your deals and syndications, all of that stuff. Yeah. So earlier I was telling you about my website is heatherblankenship.com. You can find me on social media at heatherblankenshipx3 on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or any of the outlets. Absolutely. Cool, cool. Perfect. Well, Heather, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us for a little while, uh, telling us everything about what you do. I'm sure you're gonna have tons of people reaching out, trying to get more information. Um, so everyone go follow her on Instagram, follow her on her website as well. 
Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Heather. Take care. You too. The Rap Race to Buy podcast, where we discuss money, mindset, real estate investing, and ways to achieve financial independence. Whether you are a rookie or a veteran needing new ideas for investing or creating side hustles, you're in the right place.